Welcome to the Social Currency Podcast with digital marketing experts Jess Jensen and Tuck Ross. With a combined three decades of experience, they'll share thoughts on marketing, digital strategy, and social media to get you current quick. Looking to understand Google Analytics or how to optimize CPC? You're in the wrong place. This podcast drives discussion on digital and social strategy and their fundamental role in building your business strategy. In 30 minutes a week, we'll arm you with key talking points to speak with authority and confidence. Now, let's build your social currency. Welcome, you guys, to the Social Currency Podcast. I'm Tuck Ross. And I'm Jess Jensen. Hey, Jess. We are, uh, we're so glad you guys are here and we're iterating and learning along the way as we're launching our first podcast together. So first off, thank you for sticking with us through our bumpy early days. Um, and uh, we're, we're super excited to be doing this. We're hoping you guys are learning a lot. We're learning a lot as we're going and we love just sharing with you guys, getting the feedback. Uh, we welcome any questions you have, input, other topics you'd like us to discuss. If you have anything that you want to share with us, just email us at info at socialcurrencyshow.com. That's also our website, socialcurrencyshow.com. You can check out where you can get our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere else, and uh, and, and listen to the show whenever you want. So um, what's today's topic, Jess? What are we getting into? This is one of my favorite subjects, Tuck. We are going to talk about digital and social media jargon. And there is so much of it. There are so many acronyms and so much vocabulary that's arisen over the last, you know, 15 years. And it's overwhelming and it's confusing. And if you don't do this every day for a living, it can be intimidating. So let's just break down some of the fancy words. Sound How about good? LOL? Is that one of them? <laughs> yes. And we'll start with LOL. Okay. Can I tell you a funny LOL. story about that? I have a girlfriend who I will not name who would end her emails LOL. And the way that she was using LOL was lots of love. And I interpreted it as <laughs> laugh out loud, of course. So there were many exchanges where I was like, why, why, why are you laughing? And there's nothing funny about this email. And then I realized geez. we are totally going to sign off today as LOL at the end. No, so look out for that. <laughs> all right. No. So we've got, we've got a bunch of terms here. I don't even know if I have time to go through all these because there, there's so many different ones, but I think we picked out a few good ones from our Bible of digital jargon here. So let's start out. What's, what's algorithm? Yeah. Algorithm. Gosh, that's a fancy word. Um, so it is technically a set of instructions, right? That would tell a computer what to do. Um, but the, the way it's used with social media specifically is, uh, in the way that I often term it is the secret sauce, meaning, uh, the, the way in which a social media platform like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram will serve up content. So what are, what's the rubric or what are the rules of the road that that platform is going to use to choose to serve your content over mine or give it a wider distribution versus a smaller distribution. So it's, it's kind of instructions, but it's, it's again, I think it's not as black and white as maybe an algorithm once was when it was used in computer programming days, because a lot of the signals that determine how the algorithm serves up your content is based on the behavior of all the users in the social platform. And so that's where we get into things like engagement being important. So maybe we can talk about engagement. Yeah. One last one on the algorithm. I know there's always a big panic anytime a platform says, 
the algorithms changing. And, and so it's, it is a big point that so many of these um, tools now, especially on social media are driven by the algorithm, how they're surfacing content, how they're showing and displaying, like you're saying. And um, when they change these things, it actually can drastically change even your strategy and approach to how you're running the system because of the way it may um, change your engagement and the other metrics. So engagement, take that one. What's, what's engagement for you? We talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, but let's just hit it one more time. Engagement uh, is basically it's actions. So it's different things that a user can do uh, on a platform that signal to the platform and then therefore the algorithm that they like uh, a piece of content. So an engagement can be uh, simply viewing a video. It can be hearting or liking. It can be commenting and it certainly can be sharing. Of course, that's the mothership, right? When you share something, you're effectively endorsing it and saying that you like this, you find it compelling and you want your friends and family and followership to see it. So all those signals indicate that you're entertained, that you're interested, that you are literally engaged with that content. And that is sort of the fuel behind uh, the algorithm um, knowing what to do with your content and how wide to distribute it. Yeah, I think one of the things that you you hit on in an earlier spot too was the quality of engagement. And so while we're defining engagement here, especially when you're looking at your KPIs, the quality of engagement is so important to see um, how people are actually interacting with it and is that level of engagement where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, and this is to me just a classic case of where in the beginning, it was all just the same. It was all engagement. And then as all the platforms have gotten more complex, more robust, videos taken hold, then there's naturally this, you know, kind of the creams rising to the top, if you will. There's sort of this partitioning of higher quality engagements that are signals to your followership um, that take a little more effort and show a little bit more leaning in behavior versus kind of the leaning back, right? Just harding or liking, pretty straightforward. All right, how about... Um, how about uh, more of a macro marketing, digital marketing term? We we hear B2B versus B2C. And this is perhaps anyone that's taken a marketing class remembers these terms. But um, what are we talking about when we use B2B and B2C? I think it's really about your audience. And so if we take it from a higher level and think about who are you addressing, who is your product or service or offering for, it's really about what's the group that you're trying to hit with your message. And in a lot of cases, you're talking B2C to the consumer, B2B to a business. In some cases, that's blurry and it may be either one. Uh, but I think typically most of these are whether it's the different of, of how you're targeting your content or materials or message um, to a business audience or to a consumer audience. Yeah. And I want to just add to that because I kind of get a little philosophical about the B2B, B2C, and, and I'll use the B to H, uh, as cheesy as it might be, um, business to, to human uh, vernacular, because I, I strongly believe that whether you are a business owner, a business decision maker, someone in procurement, uh, someone who has the ability to write a check, so to speak, and buy something at scale, you are human. You are a person and you still care about more than just it being the right price point and being able to deliver to your you know, business of record on time, right? Like you, you, you want to believe sure, in that brand. For sure. Yeah, I mean, the brand matters. The brand matters whether you're behind a desk or not. So I, I, I hope there is a time when we can get away from the B2B, B2C uh, vernacular and just talk about people because I, I just think that the black and white lines that maybe once existed 40 or 50 years ago are, are very blurry now. Yeah, that's valid for sure. All right, um, what's up next? 
So here's a fun one. So my, my dad, whom I love to death, will repeatedly ask me, what is, so what is the difference between a blog and a tweet, Jess? I just don't get it. So let's talk about, let's talk about what a blog is and, and how does, how does a blog fit into social? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a blog used to be just a very simple format for people to publish uh, a type of text post um, to answer your dad's question uh, versus a tweet. You know, tweets were just for Twitter. They're just a little short, 140 character, little spot. Um, they did call those microblogs back in the day, but I think that that term has fallen away. Um, but a blog has typically been defined as a uh, some type of area to have multiple posts uh, that you're posting, usually as an individual, about your content. I think the interesting thing about blogs is that, especially as content marketing has evolved and these programs have gotten bigger, especially as brands have come into the space, blogs have become a destination for much of branded content as well as individual content and really have consumed a, a much broader scope of everything from video to visuals, infographics, photography, all kinds of media that are really there to support the narrative of a brand. And that's how I think about it is that, you know, you say you're adding a blog to your site or you're thinking about updating your blog content. It's really, how does that, um, that destination support the narrative, the storyline of your brand? Yeah. So would you say a blog is a component of content marketing? I think it's uh, an endpoint for, uh, for some of your content marketing. Absolutely. Uh, and that could, you know, also be your social or anything okay. else too. So I know content marketing is on our list. Do you want to hit on what, what we would define as content marketing? Yeah. So I think content marketing, um, is such a broad term and again, kind of a nebulous one that can be used in lots of different ways. And it's become very buzzy in the last like five to seven years. Uh, what's your content marketing strategy? There's content marketing summits and conferences. Um, but, you know, I think it, it certainly um, lives online, right? So content marketing for the most part is a, is a digital, um, in the digital format. Um, but it, it's inclusive of a lot of different things. It's inclusive of social media. It's inclusive of blogs for sure, videos as well. Um, and one of the differentiators that you read a lot, and, and I kind of like this too, is it's perhaps not explicitly promoting your brand. So when we think about traditional advertising, like out of home or print or TV, there's no question they are explicitly promoting Tide soap, right? Um, about content marketing in any of those forms I just mentioned uh, has, I think, a little bit more variability. It can perhaps even be written by a third party, um, it, whether it's a social influencer or it's someone that you've commissioned to write or even a, a publication, for example, at New York Times. Um, all of that can be considered content marketing and it might be um, a little um, less direct. So a nice com compliment. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think, especially for me, I think about the funnel, you know, that especially in digital marketing, the funnel of the consumer and a lot of the actions like you're talking about, you're thinking about a very specific product sell message and you're, you're expecting a specific action from that as you move up the funnel and you go mid and then higher funnel in terms of awareness, a lot of cases, content marketing has moved into the space where you're trying to educate around a topic or create general awareness around something specifically, or in the case of maybe a tide, you're talking about what does a washing machine do? Or here's seven ways to do laundry better that naturally introduces the product in context of a, of a larger subject, which may be more interesting to a user. And then subtly they realize that they're reading about a product as well. And so that's really where content marketing, I think has become more valuable for, um, for marketers like us is that it's moved 
or enabled us to move further up the funnel and create a broader uh, spectrum of materials to be able to sell with that may not be as direct. Um, in other words, may be actually more amenable or interesting to people because it's materials acting as marketing, um, but really informational and, um, and helpful at the same time. Yeah, and I, I actually really love that you brought that up. I think this notion of marketing, um, providing a, a service, a utility, whether that utility is teaching me something from an educational perspective or entertaining me, um, I'm okay with it. You know, that even if I, I know it's marketing, I'm not, I'm no fool, right? Like we all know what we're being served, but as long as it's giving me some sort of utility, I'm okay with that. And that's kind of what I love about the, the rise of content marketing. Yeah. Let's stay on this one for one second, because I think there's another interesting point about content marketing itself. And this is, like you said, a really broad topic. It's a little, you know, sexy and trendy. Um, and yet I think we talked about our budgeting in a, uh, another episode back, but, um, a lot of businesses are not budgeting for content. They don't think it's a thing and it becomes part of a campaign or something else. And, and, logically becomes underfunded as part of that. But if you go into especially what social is and what people are doing with their phones now, I mean, content itself is, is massive. Social media platforms are content production, you know, promotion platforms. And that's really what these spaces are. People are constantly creating content with their phones, they're writing, they're videoing, they're taking photos, they're posting and sharing. Brands are doing the same thing. And so when you think about content marketing, it is the pieces that we talked about, but then you think about the volume of content that's out there and figuring out how to use that strategically between consumers and what the brand creates to create that narrative for your brand um, and then be able to distribute it properly so that it can stand out in the sea of other content that's out there um, as of these other platforms evolve and start to consume and create more and more spaces to, um, you know, actually create attention. Yep. Agreed. Um, I know one that you've talked about having a great retail background um, is conversion. And so, and conversion can mean a few different things based, based on your business. Do you want to talk about that? What's a conversion? Yes. I'm a huge fan of conversions. <laughs> um, I think, I think I love the word conversion because I think a lot of people think about it in the very strict sense of making a sale. And we talked about a little bit about this kind of a low funnel action, um, making a sale, absolutely a conversion. That is a real thing. Um, and that's a very good basic KPI to have for most of your programs. What I like to think about is each of the steps along the consumer journey and what do those conversions count as? So we talked about engagement as potentially there's conversions around that, which is a share and a like and different ways to account for that. Conversions could be a site visit. Conversions could be an action taken. Um, conversions could be someone giving you a testimonial. Conversions could be a referral. Um, it depends on how you count for it. But I think in the, in the, in the broader definition, it's any type of action that you want the consumer to take, once they do that, that's the conversion. And it could be, again, a purchase, membership, sign up, download, registration for newsletter, however you define it, there could be multiple conversion points along your path. And sometimes it's not a bad thing that you get some of these conversions because it just can lead to another strategy on how to recover that person and get them back for other types of conversions, even if you don't get that sale the yeah, first time. That's great. Yeah. And again, I think so many of these words, they started out being very simple, very black and white. And as digital marketing and later social media has um, matured, which like anything over the course of a decade, it's going to, uh, these words have grown and they've blossomed to mean many different things, depending on the type of business you have. 
So um, that's, that's good. What about some of the kind of in the weeds social media terms? So we think about a follower, fan, subscriber, or a hashtag, right? These are very social media specific terminology, pieces of terminology. What, what, what exactly are we talking about when we use those words? I think you should do this one because, you know, just off of what you said about engagement, I think there's a lot of uh, important elements you could bring to this one. So why don't you, why don't you go after follower, fan, subscriber? So um, those are all different ways of saying somebody who has raised their hand and said, I want to hear from you. And so on YouTube, we might call it a subscriber, meaning they've raised their hand and said, I want to know about new videos that you publish to your YouTube channel. And perhaps I get an email every time one goes live. Um, and then you can count me in your metrics as a subscriber, which then helps with the way that that YouTube channel will rank and get served um, based on the number of subscribers. Similarly, follower on Twitter, fan um, on Facebook, uh, and the, they mean the same thing. They're somebody raising their hand uh, who may or may not be a personal friend or family member. It may just be someone who thinks that what you've posted so far is interesting or beautiful or controversial or on topic, uh, um, but they want to hear more from you and they want to see you show up in their feed. And I'll just finish with what is a feed and hand it over to you on, on the hashtag. So the words feed and home get sort of used interchangeably. And I know this confuses people sometimes when I've done some coaching, but it literally is just the homepage or the news feed, like the scrolling stream of content that you see when you first go to whatever social media platform. So all of them have it. They all have that same uh, uh, functionality, that home feed front page, if you will. Um, but what shows up there are all of the people you have raised your hand and said, I want to follow you. I, I want to be a friend or a fan or subscriber to you. And that's, uh, that's the content that's getting all kind of mashed up together, typically in chronological order, but sometimes not in that feed stream on your home page. Hashtag. Uh, you did such a good job of tying that, <laughs> tying that together. It's like, you've got your feed. Hold on and hashtag. We got your feed, right? And that's where your content's going to go. So you got your content marketing program and all your stuff is going to go in the feed. And the algorithm is going to instruct your feed based on the followers, fans, and subscribers, but also based on the engagement that you're getting. So what's cool about, especially a platform like Instagram, is that everybody gets a different view. Nobody gets the same view based on how you're engaging with your fans and followers, what content you like, what videos you view on Instagram stories. It's very dynamic in that way. And some people find that frustrating. I actually think that's amazing because it does create a very unique environment, which can be very personalized. Um, and that's how you can actually find a better customer for your brand because you can reach the people that are most interested in you and want to hear from you on an ongoing basis. And some people may get frustrated that you can't pay your way into that all the time, but it actually does mean that you're going to get a better quality engagement when that actually happens. So I love that you actually put those together because I think all of those pieces work in tandem and that's why um, this is so interesting. One other note mm -hmm. I had for follower, fan, subscriber is that it's actually interesting um, in terms of social relationships, how these definitions are used because Facebook actually started out with friends. And when you think about friends versus a follower or a fan, it's a much different connotation 
in terms of how that's interpreted subscriber. We have podcast subscribers. Please subscribe to the podcast if you're not already subscribing. <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, but, uh, but, but that's the kind of thing where you're thinking about, you know, the context of these different circles of people. And Twitter is followers. LinkedIn actually has a dual. You can follow or you can connect with someone that has a relationship, whether it's first degree or maybe a second degree relationship with you. Other flat platforms are looking at fans and subscribers. And, and that's really more of like, are you looking at a broadcast view like YouTube or even podcasts? Or you're looking at a more engaged view, like a friend on Facebook. So I think it's it's just an interesting kind of social relationship dynamic um, there. So back to hashtag shameless plug. Hashtag is a word that starts with a pound sign. And yes, it's that little thing. Like it's so funny. This this actually makes me think back to when when LOL right when there's these like did you ever have a rotary phone? I feel like I'm so like old school saying this right now. Five years old, yeah. yeah, you're like you're like what is the pound sign? Uh, like that's where I remember that originally from, and then it turns up in hashtags. So the story behind the hashtag is actually super interesting. It was invented by a guy from Twitter, and they started to use that as really a tag structure for content. And if you think about any kind of organizational structure for file folders or system management or anything, that's all it is. It's just tags and it's a way to organize content. And that's where it started was on Twitter. It's expanded out to Instagram, Pinterest, a few other spaces. LinkedIn actually started adopting it more recently. Um, and, and it's a way for you to organize your content based around some type of thematic. So there could be a brand hashtag for the certain brand that you are. There could be a meme hashtag like Monday motivation or hashtag taco Tuesday that really gets you around something throwback Thursday. Another one. Um, and you know, one of the ones that, that, uh, we were talking about ice bucket challenge, um, especially to promote a charitable awareness, uh, function. These are good ways to create, um, some type of theme where you can actually have some volume against it and one, be able to track how many posts are going against that tag so you can see and organize and pull that material in and then separately have people understand that this is part of a campaign or an idea and you want them to reuse that to be able to share against that, whether it's content or other types of uh, information so that they can actually join in and build that volume against that hashtag, which is that organizational structure for content. That's great. And, and the way that you described it as um, a way to organize um, is, is a a way that I've used to explain that to other people um, when I've been kind of getting them set up with social media and teaching them about it from the beginning. And I'll often say there's sort of two ways that people use hashtags. And to your point, it's predominantly being used on Twitter. I think other platforms have adopted it ish, but I still think about hashtags, hashtags as a, a Twitter focused strategy. But I'll, I'll say, number one, it's a search term. You're joining the river of conversation around Ice Bucket Challenge. And so you can go up into the right upper corner search box of Twitter and type in hashtag Ice Bucket Challenge or Throwback Thursday, and you'll see all the conversation happening about that term. So I think that's an easy analogy for folks if they're more comfortable in the world of search or on just Google is to think of a hashtag as a, as a way to search for a conversation no matter who it is, not just your followers about a certain topic. But then the other way that it's come, again, like we were saying earlier, it's, things have evolved. And as social media and digital marketing has, has matured, what started out, for example, as you know, sort of fi- filing nomenclature, now I think is taken on a second meaning, which is hashtags have become um, 
they have become kind of a the 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 bumpum, right? They've become kind of the punchline to the end of a a joke or a um, you know a wink or a nod. And I see that a lot where they're not trying to join any kind of conversation. They're just trying to illustrate you know, what, what you might write in parentheses in an email or what you might like whisper if you're facing somebody. <laughs> and I kind of love, I love like the playfulness of it being used as a punchline. So, um, that's another yeah. avenue. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I think, I think hashtags are still relevant. They're still valid, even though they're, they may seem older now. Um, they do still work on Twitter. They do work on Pinterest, LinkedIn. I've seen less effectiveness. Um, but if you really want to see a platform that's doing it well and where it actually creates a lot of discovery, especially in search, Instagram. it's Instagram. Yeah. So, um, definitely be using your hashtags on these platforms, especially Instagram. Little quick tip no more than 30 hashtags on Instagram and make sure that you, you know, push them down so that to your point, they don't look like a punchline. They're kind of hidden there, but you can do that um, based on how the post is displayed. But that's actually a good, really good way to find um, people around topics and let people discover you and your content. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. I, you're so good with the hashtags on Instagram. And so I appreciate that reminder. And so, yeah, help us understand. So why do you return, return, return? Why do you put that space between what you wrote and then the body of hashtags on Instagram? Because you don't see that on Twitter as much. Well, Twitter, Twitter, you have a character limit. And so that does kind of, you know, right. put you against a wall in terms of determining that. So you, you have to use your hashtags carefully on Twitter. You don't have so much of that challenge on um you don't have so much that challenge on a platform like Instagram where you have a lot more space and I've actually hit the character limit on Instagram. So there is one, um, I don't know what it is, but, um, it, it's pretty long. And so you actually have a lot of space to be able to push it down. And I think the reason you do that is really just a visual, you know, uh, to make a better visual. And so you, you can have your post copy nice and clean, and then you create some extra space and put your hashtags below where people may just scroll or kind of see it immediately um, because it's really more about the search side of things and people finding you versus them actually being able to see the hashtags themselves. Got it. That makes sense. See, I learned something new. This is so good. Yay. Okay. So let's talk about some more fun words. So do you say vlog or do you say vlog and what the heck is that uh, versus what we used before, which was the kind of old school term of microblogging. Uh, I think that's a question of, do you call it a B-log or do you call it a blog? Um, it's definitely, it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely a vlog. I, I don't know. I don't know anyone who calls it I a V-log. I, I swear on my heart, I have heard <laughs> people say vlog. log on the fire. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I really, I really think, you know, vlog is a, uh, is a video blog. Um, and so vlog is, is something on, you know, I think YouTube is a primary destination for that. I don't think anybody would call Instagram stories a vlog, but I do know that people identify themselves as vloggers if they're regular creating video. So, um, that, that's a thing people it's, it's the, you know, vloggers are a thing. I've actually seen people wear t-shirts and say they're a vlogger, which almost makes you feel like you're trying a little too hard when you're going that far. But, um, <laughs> But you know, you can yeah, be a vlogger. It's cool. Um, people, people do that. So, so how is Microblogging it? is a different thing. So how is it? Yeah, sorry. I think we should just Mar- get, we should get, we, we should, should get a turtleneck we should. and say microblogging. It's going to be like old school. My, ugly, like, my ugly sweater for Christmas this year. Um, I think, you know, microblogging, uh, I don't, uh, I haven't heard that as much. I mean, maybe you have a little more around that. I think that's more of... Um, the reference to kind of what Twitter is a smaller, snippier posts. Um, 
you know, medium was a little bit more like that at the beginning, but now it's gone to long format. So I just don't see that term as much anymore. Uh, I do see vlog um, occasionally, but I think most people just assume that they're making video at this point. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is a vlog or a vlogger is the same thing as making a YouTube video or being a YouTuber, right? You're telling stories through video. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that term has lost a little bit of flavor because there's so much video being created now and people are creating it on so many different platforms that to identify yourself as a vlogger, just doing video, there's not that many people are just doing video per se. I mean, there's obviously big influences are just doing video, but a lot of people, especially the average consumer is doing a mix of photo and short video and long video and live video and this and that. Um, and it's just, uh, it's become more of kind of built into everything else. It's just become normal. So let's talk about a few um, paid media terms that get thrown around when we think about digital paid media. So we hear words like, I'm going to throw out retargeting and then um, SEM. You want to, I know you've done both of those uh, quite a bit in your past. You want to talk about what retargeting and SEM refer to in the paid media land? Yeah. And I'll I'll encourage people to go back to a couple episodes uh, where we were talking a little bit more about retargeting specifically. Um, Just a quick highlight on this is that um, retargeting is a very simple, uh, you visit a site, you visit some type of destination and the brand uh, that has advertising there that, um, that puts some type of cookie on your device is able to follow you around with the information that you just saw. So for example, you went and checked out some red shoes at Zappos and then you're being followed around the internet with these little annoying ads about red shoes from Zappos. And some people would find that annoying. I actually think it's super interesting because it starts to personalize the experience and the better that retargeting gets, um, whether it's, you know, in a geo area or a certain period of time or showing you related products or whatnot. uh, It's actually a, a very smart way to capture previous intent much more so than even programmatic or other types of display media that may not necessarily know much about you. So retargeting is really just capturing that moment when you're looking at something and then resurfacing that in the concept of frequency of impression to help drive that conversion. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, sorry. Can I pause? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, can I, I want to interrupt you because you just used two more words. I want to make sure people know. So programmatic and display, What, what are we talking about when we say those two words? Yeah, usually display media is just the reference for banner ads is uh, what we've always called them. It's probably one of the oldest forms of advertising on the internet. Um, but the 300 by 250s, the leaderboards, the skyscrapers, any of those visual ads that you see on a website typically referred to as display. That has broadened out a little bit um, to include you know, other spots, including email marketing, um, that's more of paid email marketing than just that. But most of the display is really the banner ad types that are out there. And then programmatic is a version as well as retargeting is a version of display. Programmatic's using a much more targeted version of display to be able to reach certain criteria that the platforms may know about. Individuals say, I want to find all people in California who drive Priuses and live, you know, uh, with an income above 75,000 or whatever it may be. Um, that is actually now a criteria that can be put in against display advertising versus it just being broad access and kind of being shown to everyone, which one makes it more efficient to reach a better audience with your media um, to get that message across to the right people. Retargeting is then capturing that intent after they come through. And if they didn't convert, then giving you an option to recapture them later. Cool. Cool. Um, All right. I know we're going to run short on time here, but uh, one of the words that I feel 
like, again, was a thing, but you still hear thrown around from time to time, especially outside of marketing, um, is viral, the word viral marketing or something going viral. Um, so, so I think, uh, just to define what that is or what that once was, uh, that's this idea of something being able to spread, uh, like you would think about a virus, but in a good way, um, around the internet or even outside, frankly, even just through like old school word of mouth, um, without there being necessarily a paid media effort, right. Of kind of a forced distribution. Um, so I, I feel like this is something that still comes up again, you know, creating kind of, it's going to go viral, which I struggle with because I, I frankly don't know that you can actually create that. I think often, these things are, um, you know, are, are sort of just natural and they just happen because there's just a, a moment in time um, and people kind of latch on to an idea. Uh, and it can be, to me also, I think the, the notion of being viral can be either, you know, incredibly heady and sort of, you know, intellectual and, and complex, or it can be like, you know, cat memes and like mm-hmm. ridiculousness mm-hmm. that means nothing. It's just, it just catches on. So um, anyway, I, I think it's important just to kind of throw that word viral out there because I do feel like, again, it's a little bit of an antiquated antiquated term, but an antiquated notion that in digital marketing, you can actually create something that will, you know, definitively become viral. Any any thoughts on that on your end? Yeah, I think, I think this is one of those terms that feels like it's exactly the reason why we have this show. Um, if you ever read a book, Contagious by Jonah Berger, um, it's a good book. If you guys want to check that out, it's actually really interesting. And um, this kid's a professor and he goes into this thought process about really why and how do things go viral? And I can actually think of four specific instances where an executive had asked me to build a viral marketing campaign. And in... And it's, it's actually a very puzzling topic because it's hard to think about why is something going to spread and it's an organic type of thing. And there's, there's things you can help with it, including increasing exposure and the rest of that, but you can't force something to go viral. There's things you can do to assist it. Maybe it's funny, maybe it's awe-inspiring, maybe it's something that people want to share, um, which is some of the things that Joe Berger talks, Jenna Berger starts to talk about in his book. Um, but it's actually, it's actually something that captures this Uh, you know, kind of lightning in a bottle moment with consumers. And to your point, it's across the board, um, which is, you know, kind of how cats start on the internet. It's things that you wouldn't necessarily expect that somebody wants to share and then it takes off um, like Ice Bucket Challenge and some of the things just because uh, people find it fascinating. And a lot of times you can't predict that. So viral marketing, while there are aspects of it that can be, you know, assisted. Uh, it is something that's a little bit spontaneous on how it happens. And when that moment does hit, you just need to make sure that you're prepared to be able to, you know, get on that as fast as possible. Yep. Agreed. So we've covered a lot of terms and the list will continue to grow, right? As any, as any channel or body of work, uh, in marketing, uh, evolves and matures, hence the vocabulary list elongates. So this probably will never stop. Um, but I do think that kind of the broader takeaway, I mean, hopefully you've learned a few things just by hearing what we've defined and how we've kind of broken down some of these, um, acronyms and words and pieces of jargon that get thrown around, but hopefully you've also walked away with a sense of not feeling embarrassed. You know, I, I mean, I, you know, I asked you why you put a bunch of spaces between 
hashtags and copy on Instagram, I think it's okay to say, I don't know what the difference is between SEO and SEM. Tell me again. I, I know you told me before, but I forgot. Like, it's okay to ask questions. And I just want to encourage folks that are listening to not feel silly. Don't feel stupid. There's a ton of jargon and there's no way you're going to know all this stuff unless you do it every day. And even then it changes so rapidly. It's challenging to keep up. So if someone's pitching uh, an idea to you or, um, presenting and they're using a lot of jargon and vocab in the digital marketing space, you know, ask them to hit pause and make sure that they use human layman terms to explain what they're trying to uh, propose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, we, we, we didn't even get through half of our list that we want to talk about um, today, but you know, I encourage everybody that if you're listening and you've got, you know, some kind of question or you want to demystify some jargon or a topic, um, again, email us info at socialcurrencyshow.com. It's a good way to reach out to us. And if, if we don't know, we're going to check it out and look it up. But a lot of these things we do know just because we've been through it. So don't hesitate to reach out. It's a safe space. And, um, and it'll be something that, you know, if you have a question about somebody else has a question about it too, which is again, why we're here to talk about these types of things, because we love it and we want to help make sure everyone can understand it. So that's our wrap for another episode of social currency. Again, check us out socialcurrencyshow.com. I'm Tuck Ross and, uh, you've been talking also with Jessica Jensen. And uh, we're about to sign off and uh, wishing you guys another good week. And we will catch you next time. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll talk to you guys later. Thanks, guys. Bye. See ya. You just listened to Social Currency, a podcast with Tuck Ross and Jess Jensen. Like what you hear? Subscribe to Social Currency in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a review on iTunes. Have a question for the show? Want to ask about a specific topic? Email us at info at socialcurrencyshow.com. If we include it in an upcoming episode, we will send you something awesome. Thanks for tuning in. And remember to check out the full show notes with all the links that we referenced at socialcurrencyshow.com. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Social Currency Podcast. We are so glad you guys are here. We're iterating, learning along the way. This is uh, you know, early in the days of, of what we're doing here, but um, Jess and I are super excited to see you. I'm Tuck Ross and uh, with Jess Jensen here. Um, hey, guys. Thank you for... Uh, let's, let's start that over. I totally blew it. That's okay. All right. Keep, start over. Thank you. Hey guys, welcome to the Social Currency Podcast. I'm here with Jess Jensen. Hey guys. Uh, that was terrible again. Okay, <laughs> let me do it one more time. Do you, want me to, do you want me to jump in there when you say my name or should I just be quiet and let you finish? How about I do, hey, I'm Tucker Ross and you can chime in, hey, I'm Jess Jensen and I'll bounce back with the rest of the intro. You know that? Okay. Okay. Yep. All right, here we go. <laughs> Take three. <laughs> Take three.